Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hello. Wonderful to see you all this morning. Just to introduce myself, I am Gabe Phillips. Um, I am married to the amazing Fiona Phillips. I'm the dad to Olivia Phillips, who's beginning to sleep through the night. Honestly, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It was, it was either her fault or our fault, and we decided to take responsibility, and, and it seems to be working. So there you go. So I'm feeling a little bit fresh. So I'm ready to preach. I'm telling you, I'm ready to preach. I hope you're ready to receive from the Word. But uh, this morning, I just want to say, I know some of you look at me and you go, Gabe, you've always been this handsome, tall... Why did you guys laugh at handsome? <laughs> it's very offensive. This tall, handsome, not so dark, but tall, handsome, just like really confident guy. I want to tell you that it's not always been the case. I know. I know. It might be a shock to some of you. But I want to take us back a number of years to the year 1997, a phenomenal year in many years, people's lives. I was in, in, the, in grade five in a, in a school called, in, called Greystone Park in Zimbabwe. And it was a Valentine's Day. Are you there with me? You're there. You cast your mind back. We're there. It's like a time warp. And uh, on this fateful Valentine's Day that has long, lived long in my memory is Valentine's Day tradition at our primary school where the girls would spend the morning decorating little cards for their secret admirer. They would, they, they, the person they're going to send the card to, they'll put glitter. They would go nuts with the press stick. They'll be going, it was just was going to be beautiful with highlighters and, and a lot of pink and floral. The girls were going excited about this. And the boys were trying to pretend that they didn't care. But they did. You, you know how it goes. So what would happen is the, the, the way the morning would work was the boy at the break time, the girls would be flurry, finishing these things with a flurry, the boys would be playing soccer, the siren would go and you'd all come and you'd have to line up outside our classroom and wait for the teacher to come. And girls were giggling and boys were trying to look cool. But our hearts were beating. Palms getting sweaty. So it was M&M days, you know. So we were excited. <laughs> Here we go. And uh, the girls would go in first. All the girls would go in. And we had those desks, I don't know if you remember, that you had to lift up, that you could store your things in. You know, those desks. This was the olden days, the good old days. And uh, I remember the girls would go in and, and the boys would be nonchalant outside saying, oh, who cares? And you see the soccer yesterday. Trying to check. Somebody going past my desk, you know. And uh, I just want to be honest that I had never received anything in my five years up to this point. But I didn't care, of course, you know. Of course, nothing. I didn't care, you know. My mom told me she loved me. That's good enough for me. But, uh, but this fateful Valentine's Day, 1997, I remember with the boys being led in and I went up like, yeah, whatever, I'm not even going to check my desk, you know, just going to get a, something, I'm going to get my pen from inside my desk, you know, as guys would say. And I remember starting to slowly open that desk and just, just felt the world start to slow down. And I started to hear like just angels started to sing because as I lifted that desk, there was something in it that hadn't been there before break time. And I started to shake a little bit because it was something sparkly or something glittery. And I thought I was already planning the wedding in my head. I didn't even know who she was. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do this thing. And uh, as I started to pull this Valentine's Day card that had been crafted so beautifully, and I was like, for me? And I started to open it up. And as I was about to read it and find out who my secret admirer was, a girl ran up to me with big eyes, big blue eyes. And ripped the card out of my hand and said, sorry, wrong desk. Yeah. I tell that story this morning, firstly, just to confess my pain to you. It's uh, held me captive for many years. 
But it's a silly story that I think translates very easily to, I think, where I believe many people sitting in this room are finding themselves at today, in this present moment. Maybe it's not as trivial as a wrong desk and a Valentine's card in a juvenile system of schooling. But I really believe maybe there's some people here who've, uh, who've had moments like this where they've repeatedly in the last little while have lost courage, lost faith for the story that God's called them to because the enemy just keeps coming and snatching things out of your hands, out of your life, and you end up saying, what, what really have I got? Maybe, maybe this is for you. Maybe you've just got married and life was good, but then you found that your spouse was cheating on you. Wrong desk! And you're left with nothing. Maybe it's you here and you've just got a job and you, you've been longing for and working hard. And as you're just feeling like you're getting into it, your boss comes and announces they're making company-wide cutbacks. And your job will be on the line. Wrong desk. Maybe it's for you. You say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to follow him. But you keep falling at the same addictions and habits and you feel he's got the wrong guy. I want to count, but I just keep falling short. No matter where you find yourself this morning, I want to, pray, I want to preach a simple, simple word this morning. Are you okay with that? My aim is to remind you who you are and whose you are. I want to remind you who you are and whose you are, and ultimately I want to move your eyes from your empty desk and put them on the empty tomb. I want to take your eyes off where the enemy is stolen and want to show you the king who gives. I pray if I do that this morning, I've done a good job and I can sleep well this afternoon with my daughter. Everyone okay with that? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to read a scripture together. It's an, it's an interesting scripture. It's a short one. You won't be standing long. It's a scripture that actually came to our attention earlier in the year in a, in a leadership moment where Mark brought it forward, and it hasn't left me this whole year, and I've been waiting and longing to preach for it, and this is the day. The moment has come. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 22. Are you ready for it? It says this, On a snowy day, Benaiah went into a pit and killed a lion. That's it. That's the scripture. It's in there. Promise. Let's read it one more time. Read it with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. On a snowy day, Benaiah went into a pit and killed a lion. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray from your word, even that every word of scripture is, is God-breathed and, and given to us to build us up and encourage us and take us to Jesus. And I pray you do that this morning. I pray, God, that you are here and you are pursuing the furthest heart. Hearts that feel they've run too far. I thank you, God, today you're reminding them my grace goes further still. I thank you, God, today you are softening the hardest heart. The heart that has been ripped apart by life and feels life is unfair. And, and I feel that I've been let down too many times. I can't trust again. Your love is going in deep and saying, I've got you. I thank you, Father God, also that you are healing the broken heart. The heart that says, I've got nowhere else to turn. I thank you, Jesus, that you say, I am your healer. Would you do all these things by a mighty, powerful word this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? Give someone a little high five on the way down if you can. Just, just one, just one. It's okay. We're just not too excited. Haven't even started preaching yet. You don't have to get too excited. This morning, very simple. Three truths to strengthen your faith. And I pray that you leave with courage, with strength, and ability to see Jesus in your chaos here they go from this text. Number one, it'll be on the screen behind me. Number one, three truths for you. Number one is my circumstance does not determine my response. We're going to get charismatic. It's a public holiday tomorrow, so we're going to work for our bride day tomorrow. Are you ready? You're going to work for our heritage. Here we go. Say it with me. Say, my circumstance does not determine my response. Good job up there in the balcony, guys. Good job. Give us a wave. Give us a wave. Balcony sitters. Well done. We see you. We see you there. Wonderful. I want to tell you, the scripture starts with these words, on a snowy day. On a snowy day. Now, 
I am no big game hunter. I'm not into animal husbandry at all. But I do presume to know this one thing, that, that if you're going to hunt a lion, snowy days do not mean perfect conditions for that activity. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone else will say, actually, you know, I've watched Animal Planet for a number of years. No, no, but I pretty presume that snowy days do not equal great lion-killing conditions. And I want to tell you, though, my response would have been this. If I open the curtains that day, I'm going to kill, I get up, go calendar, Google calendar. Ah, oh, go kill the lion today. Okay, I'll open up the curtains. And there's snow. Do you know what I'm doing? Back into bed. Back into bed, get the series out and say, actually, this is perfect conditions for settling down back into bed. I'm calling the boss already and coughing and <laughs> I don't think I can come in today. Got to get someone else to kill that line. It's not me today. I'm being honest. That's me. I back away. When circumstances don't line up with my, with what, what my frame of reference, I'm backing away. And I presume most of us would react the same. But I love this man, Beniah, a man who gets about five or six verses in the whole Bible. But this one particular verse tells us Beniah's response. He opens the curtains, sees the snow, and he goes, Perfect conditions to kill a lion. A different response. A different response. And I pray that we'll be able to understand that this morning. Because I want to tell you that the enemy, he wants our lives and our futures to be dictated by our appetites, our emotions, and dictated by whatever happens around us. The enemy wants our lives and our futures to be dictated by our circumstances. Maybe you've said something like this. My emotions ran away from me. Or you said, I just lost my mind. Or you said, I couldn't help myself. Or maybe you just said, I was desperate. And you justify your actions because of the circumstances that drove you there. I want to tell you, your circumstances do not determine your response. As Christ followers, we've got a different spirit. I want to tell you where we start off. We start with a man named Jesus. Jesus faced this very temptation in the wilderness. The wilderness, Jesus goes for 40 days into the desert. He's fasting. He's hungry. These, for me, not great circumstances for great spiritual warfare, if I'm honest. In my head, I go, spiritual battles are won when we're worshiping. We've got people around us. The music is loud. We're praying. We've got faith. It's exciting. But Jesus goes and he wins an incredible battle in undeal, not ideal circumstances in a desert. The enemy comes and says to him, Jesus, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus could have done it in seconds. But Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because Jesus' circumstances did not determine his response. I want to tell you this, this morning, the faith says, I am not a victim of my circumstance. I want to put that language in your heart this morning, and I pray that this starts to filter deep in past the wrong desk responses that come up again and again, that you and I are not victims of our circumstances. Here's the implication of this truth this morning. If we want to be a people who say that my circumstance does not determine my response, here's the implication. You have to set your excuse loose. Mm, it rhymes. It must be true. But it is. I believe this morning that a lot of us have been, our futures have been hijacked because we have been living with an excuse. We've been living as victims of our circumstances. We've been living in the fact that I can't get the more of God because of. And we've been nursing and rehearsing this thing again and again. But Jesus says, give me the thing you nurse and rehearse and I'll reverse it and make that thing your future. This is the understanding for you now. We've got to let our, set our excuses loose because I believe that breakthroughs start when excuses end. That's good preaching. A breakthrough starts when excuses end. God is waiting. Give me your, that reason that you feel is disqualifying you and watch what I can do. 
We've been, Mark has been asking this question again and again in the last couple of weeks. What, has been hold, what is holding your future hostage right now? What is that one thing that's keeping you bound that you just cannot get away from? The circumstance that seems so large that is determining everything else in your life. Your emotions, your emotional state, your financial state, your ability to trust God, your ability to do relationships. The circumstance that just keeps like, getting bigger and bigger. The Goliath that keeps getting bigger. I want to tell you, Goliath must fall. And the narrative in my Bible is, he does, when you trust Jesus. Maybe, this is, if I'm honest, this has been my refrain for a long time. When my baby sleeps through the night, then I'll start to, I just need to get through the season. It has been. My eyes have been big. I'm tired. And you're just going, hey, it's not a big faith season. This is just a head down, get through season. And I'm going, why? Where, where, does that, where do I read that in my Bible? Maybe your excuses have been something like this. When I get a new job, then. Or when I, my boss gets off my case. Or you say, when my spouse gets a new attitude. Maybe you say, when I get over my divorce, I just need some time to get over my divorce. I want to tell you, your circumstance as a Christ follower does not determine your response. I think too quickly we hand over authority of our futures to other people, other situations, and to circumstances. Too often I meet people, and I know I put myself in this category, where our, our futures are being held captive by our circumstances. I tell you, you and I are called to respond not based on circumstances, but based on faith. Here's a question in this regard. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Do you know what I mean by that? Thermometers measure the temperature. Thermostats set the temperature. Are you somebody that just always reacts? Whatever the, the heat of the day is, I'll react that way. Whatever the pressure is, I'll react that way. If there's anxiety, then I'll be anxious. If there's a big deadline, then I'm going to fall apart. If there's pressure at home, then I'm no use to anyone. Or are you a thermo- thermostat who says, actually, I'm going to set the temperature because of who God's called me to be? It's a great question to put in there, but I want to tell you that we are not led by our excuses. We are led rather by the Spirit of God. We found in, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us there's a reality, a spiritual reality, that once we give our lives to Jesus, from that moment, we, are, we get dual citizenship. What that means is, right now, if you're a Christ follower, you're sitting here, present here on earth, but at the same time, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. It's a spiritual truth that blows my mind. But this, the, 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 the implication is, if we are seated right now on earth and in heavenly places, will we be people who respond from earth to heaven? Meaning, we see what happens around us, we panic, and then we run, please God, help me. Or we respond from heaven to earth, saying, we see what our Father does, and we react to the circumstance accordingly. Ooh, that's truth. I only saw a few heads nodding. Do you want me to explain it again? Jesus said these words, said, I only do what I see my Father do. Too many of us are only doing what we see our circumstances say we must do. It's the truth that we have to start understanding this is who we are, not who we long to one day be. No, as a, you've got the Spirit of God in you. This is the reality of your nature. Your circumstances, my circumstances, do not determine my responses. I want to say this. I cannot control everything that comes into my life, but I can control my response to it. I cannot control everything that comes in my life. Things happen, life happens, but I can control how I respond to those things. 
That is in my authority. And I want to take back that authority. Because too often I think this, things have come through out of my mouth. He ruined my day. <sighs> the question I want to ask is, who is he? And why have you given him so much authority over your life? So I want to land this point by saying, stop talking yourself out of what God has called you to do. I think too many people, we talk, if you want to know who talks to yourself the most, who lies to yourself the most, it's you. It's me. We, when we take authority, I know I, re, I lie to myself all the time. I can't because of. I, 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 that's who I am because of. I always have done this way because of. When actually God says, no, 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 circumstance don't determine your response. Everyone good with that? We're moving on. On a snowy day, Benaiah went into a pit and killed the lion. My circumstance does not determine my response. Number two out of this text this morning is my opposition will become my opportunity. Told you I'm going to give you faith language this morning. Different way to respond. So firstly, he said, he, on a snowy day, second, he says, he went into a pit. Now, again, I want to tell you, I've watched enough episodes of when animals attack to know that when you go in a pit to fight a lion, you're not coming out. <laughs> if you want to watch, disclaimer, watch when animals attack, it never ends well for the humans. It's in the title, bit of a giveaway, hey. But I want to tell you this morning, as Benaiah chased this lion, I can imagine, when he starts to chase the lion, the lion disappears into a pit. I'm going, oh, that was a good run. I'm going back home. I'm not going getting deep in, in a pit with a roaring lion, a carnivore that's going to just rip me to shreds. I'm not getting in there. No, 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 no. And I think Benaiah was faced with an opportunity. Do I back away or do I dive in? Now, here's the thing. I want to tell you, the enemy wants our lives and our futures to be dictated by fear. But what if? And I believe too many people, their futures are handcuffed by fear. We set out with good intentions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to step out for God. But then we, get, we give up because of opposition. At the first sign of, of trouble, we're out. Can't do this. And I want to tell you this morning, are you ready for a good one? I believe the thing the enemy sets up for your destruction will lead to your deliverance. If you understand a faith response, the thing the enemy sets up for your destruction will lead to your deliverance. Let me give you a case study for this. The man named Moses leads the people out of Egypt. Two million people who've been held captive for years. They'd, they've become slaves by nature. They don't even know what freedom even looks like or smells like. And Moses starts to paint this picture. There's a promised land. We're going. And they leave Egypt with songs and shouts and freedom. And they're on their way. And they get out of the desert and they're moving and they get straight into the Red Sea. And as they stand there, they're looking around, okay, what next? They start to hear a noise behind them. Sound of chariots. Chariots coming, getting louder and louder, and dust, a big dust storm. What's happening? No, the Egyptians are coming back for us. The Egyptians want to drag us back to slavery. And two million people start to hear the, the, the thing behind them start to make a huge noise. They look ahead and there's this, this, an obs obstruction, an obstacle that just looks insurmountable. And they start to panic and they start to get nervous and start to fret and say to Moses, why did you bring us here just to have us die here? Why? And I can imagine them saying, let, let's just go back. Let's just go back now. Let's, let's say sorry. They'll take us back. And, and this moment, the thing that the enemy sets up for their destruction, the Red Sea that was going to impede their future, that's going to hold them captive. Thank goodness for one man who had eyes of faith. 
a man named Moses who did not respond by circumstances or did not let the opposition dictate his response, but actually said, the thing that is my opposition will become my opportunity. And this man, Moses, sees this, lifts up his staff, and the waves start to part. And the thing the enemy set up to destroy them, they start to walk through it. And that thing became their deliverance as the Egyptians came behind them and the waters came and crushed their enemy completely. What the enemy sets up for your destruction, I believe with eyes of faith, will lead to your deliverance. I want to ask you, what is behind you that is holding you captive in fear? The voice of your past failures, the voice of your mess-ups that just keeps coming. This is who you are. This is who you are. What is in front of you? What lies in front of you that's holding you captive? Fear of the future, fear of illness, fear of recession, fear of what if, what's going to happen, when? What is the opposition that we are giving so much power to that's holding us captive from moving forward? I want to tell you this, that my thesis here and understanding this morning is that you and I as Christ followers were made to thrive under pressure and persecution. We're made to thrive. That's who we are. Can I tell you? Every forward momentum of the church history has always come when there's been persecution. When there's been no pressure, the church have lent back into comfort and safety. So I tell you, I don't bemoan opposition. I don't bemoan persecution or pressure because I know with eyes of faith, they'll lead to my deliverance. They'll lead to a future. You don't seem to be believing me this morning. So let me help you. I want long to preach a sermon about prisons because every prison in the Bible ends up not being a prison that becomes a parameter for people, but becomes a passport to greater things. The man Joseph goes into a prison. And that prison, as he looks at it with eyes of faith, ends up leading him into the very courts of Pharaoh, becoming the second in charge of the nation. A prison that was kind of meant to keep him captive became his deliverance, became a nation's deliverance. You want more? I'll go more. I'll go more. Good. Thank you. I want to tell you in this, this understanding here, a man named Jonah was thrown overboard and was eaten by a natural prison, by a whale. And the thing that was going to be destroy him, and the thing I can imagine the people say, we're done with that guy. That whale went and took him all the way back as Jonah had a moment of faith, said, actually, God, I can't run from you. Vomited him back on the land, and that became the deliverance for Nineveh. Yeah. Let me tell you again, your prison will always either become your parameter or become your passport. But I believe this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where the nation tried to throw them into the fire, we're done with them. A fourth man appears in the fire, and they get nervous, and they get authority over a kingdom. Daniel gets thrown to the lion's den. Done with him. The mouths of the lion get stopped. The Lord says, I'll use that for you. And Daniel becomes a high, one of the high-ranking authorities in Babylon. Let me tell you, Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. And in jail, they start to sing, and they start to praise. Their chains break home, an earthquake. Every prisoner gets released, and that becomes their passport to preach a sermon of faith to a security guard who gets saved, and the church in Philippi births. They try to crush, the, crush their church and, by putting them in prison, but actually that was the birth of the church. We were meant to thrive under pressure because our opposition, when we look at it eyes of faith, becomes our opportunity. I'm getting excited. Like, can I respond, please? What is holding you captive right now that you think is stopping you walking into the thing God has for you? What is that thing? Because I think, show me that thing. I'll say, I'll show you your potential deliverer. Stare it down. Look at it with faith and not fear. And watch God turn the opposition into an opportunity. We forget this too quickly. And this is, might come across cheesy, but I, I just, testimonies. Stories of God's breakthroughs only come when there's been great opposition. No one ever gets up and says, my life was amazing and now it's even better. 
Everyone's like, you suck. <laughs> we all want great test me's, but we don't want the tests. Test me's only come when there's tests. When we persevere with, persevere with faith for breakthrough, that's when God gets the glory. Your opposition will lead to your opportunity if you say, God, I'm going to take hold of you by faith. Come on. Because of this deed of Benaiah, this man Benaiah, because he chased a lion down, did not retreat at the pit, and deeds like this, why? Because he jumped in that pit and killed that lion. Can I tell you, his opposition there, that lion and that pit, became his opportunity where David, the very next verse, if you go look at it, it said, David, because of this, made him his chief of his bodyguards. The thing that was going to be the potential of death and doom for him became his breakthrough, became his authority giver. Just a thought for you and I this morning. Can I tell you, the pit and the line became his promotion. Third point this morning as we land. Number one, my circumstance does not determine my response. My opposition will become my opportunity. And third and finally, I was made to kill lions. Now, just a quick disclaimer. This is metaphor, okay? I don't want any dentists from America going out to kill Cecil, okay? We love Cecil. We love Cecil. Just in case, looking forward to that email tomorrow, Gabe. Lions are protected. Not the lions I'm talking about. They've got no protection because the enemy wants our lives and our futures to be dictated to by our insecurities. Not just our appetites and our emotions and our circumstances, not just by fear, but he'll play on our insecurities to hold us captive. Who do you think you are that you can take ground for the kingdom? Who do you think that you are, that you can, that be, you know, your family's always been a drunks and alcoholics. Who do you think that you are that you can make a stand? Who do you think your family's always sick? Your family always responds, actually, no, you, you've, you've messed up way too many times. Actually, wrong desk. You've, you think you're a man of God, you open the desk, there's nothing in there, so you shrink back. I want to tell you, safety, passivity, status quo are not in the language of Christ followers. Neutral is the most dangerous state that there is. Because you and I were made to be winning battles, taking ground. The scripture tells us that we are made to be led by Christ from glory to glory. From glory to glory. That's the narrative not of one Christian or not of some really spiritual people. For any Christ follower, people who are in Christ Jesus, your nature is He leads you from glory to glory. He leads you in triumphal procession. This is my language. This is your language. But the enemy has lied to us and got us to buy into a false language. I want to tell you this morning, we were not made to be going backward. We were not made to be standing neutral. We were made to be pressing forward. The scripture calls us more than conquerors, not even just conquerors, more than conquerors, meaning that we are winning battles not just for ourselves but for others. I want to tell you this thing, though, in this understanding, is that I believe this morning private victories lead to public authority. If you want authority, deal with the lions that are, that are roaring in private, that are holding you insecure, that are holding you captive. Private victories will lead to public authority. Can I ask you this question? What battle are you fighting in private that you need to get victory over today? That battle that no one else knows about. It's time for that lion to be. Can I tell you, what's the thing you've been tolerating for way too long? The lion that's been keeping you insecure because of it for way too long. I led to someone the other day who said, my insecurities kept driving me back to the bed of a man I once loved, a man I'm not married to. My insecurities did that. 
And I'm going, how can your insecurities keep you so captive? But our insecurities are powerful when we, when we tolerate them, when we think they're okay, when we think they're neat and cuddly, and they're right. Can I tell you, here's some great theology. Small lines become big lines. Big lines eat people. Bible. Small lines. We think we can keep them under control. We think I've got this. I've got this addiction. I've got this, this habit. I've got this attitude. I've got this thing in the back room. That's okay. Can I tell you, that thing, small lines become big lines. Big lines eat people. We're not there to entertain them. So a great preacher once said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. We get to choose. That's the authority that you and I have. Here's the great news for you and I. Well, maybe not great news yet, but we'll get there. Sin is a big deal. Here's the great news. Jesus is a bigger deal. He trumps every sin. He gives courage. Whenever you think that thing is just too big for me to handle, he gives faith. He gives courage. He says, I'm in there with you. I want to tell you this amazing scripture that came to mind for me today. It was in Romans chapter 8. It says that all creation waits and groans for the sons of the Almighty to be revealed. All creation. Here's the thing. God knows that you were set up to kill lions. He knows that you're set up for victory. He knows what He's put inside you. He's put a spirit inside you. And that's not a spirit of weakness. It's a spirit of strength. It's a spirit of deliverance. It's a spirit of freedom. His spirit. Not yours. It's His. He's given. So He believes it. God knows that you are you're made to be. Can I tell you? Satan knows who you were made to be. That's why he's attacking you. That's why he wants to hijack your future. That's why he wants to keep bringing your past before you because he doesn't want you to get there. I want to tell you the scripture, Romans 8 tells us that all creation knows who you and I are. It says all creation waits and groans. God knows us. Satan knows it. All creation knows it. The only people who seem confused are you and I. I don't know. Wrong desk. We were made to kill lions. Too long we've been tamed by tradition, expectation, and circumstance. And I want to say today, I believe, is a day for freedom if you and I respond in faith. Not respond with, I'm going to try harder. Not respond with, I can do this, because I can tell you, you can't. But he can. I want to tell you this morning, I have utmost confidence that when I am in tough circumstances, I can respond differently. I want to tell you this morning that I believe that when opposition comes, that I won't back down, but will rather get stuck in. I want to tell you that when the enemy roars over my life, I won't bow to insecurity, but I will kill that lion dead. 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 The reason, though, I don't have confidence because I'm amazing. I promise you I'm not. I don't have confidence that I can do this because I've got some superior inner strength that you don't have yet. I don't. I promise you I'm very flawed. And I fall for these enemies' traps again and again and again. But I am getting more and more confident in the fact that I can respond in a different way. Why? Because there's actually only one real hero in Scripture. And his name's not Gabe. And it's not Beniah. Let me tell you what the name Beniah means. Beniah means the son of the Almighty. Ben-Iah, son of the Almighty. And I want to tell you, I believe Benaiah in this obscure verse of Scripture that's tucked into 1 Chronicles 11, that gets skipped over, that's, uh, what's going on there? I believe that that was just a foreshadow of the real Son of the Almighty, the true Son of the Almighty, named Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you who Jesus Christ is right now. 
Jesus Christ left heaven's throne because why? Sin was destroying and ravaging his people. Circumstances, fear, insecurities were keeping his people focused on empty desks when he said, I've got a future full for you. And he was so distraught, the cross, uh, we are told that actually the cross is a great sign of God just saying, I want my kids back. And Jesus entered that fray, and he came and he lived a life, and he started to push back the darkness as he started to show people what the, the Son of the Almighty, sons and daughters of the Almighty look like, as he started to walk by faith and not by sight, started to respond by, his, uh, by faith, not by his circumstances, started to push back the darkness as he says, I'm not going to be ruled by fear or insecurities, but by who my Father says I am. Jesus started to push back the darkness, and the enemy was like, what are we doing? We're losing control over the people. And then something happened. The very people who came to save take, took Jesus and nailed him to a cross. And as the nails went into his hands and to his feet, as the earth became dark and as Jesus cried out, It is finished! The enemy rubbed his hands in glee and said, Yes, it's finished. <laughs> Humankind have nailed their own coffins. They've killed their only Savior. They're done. And Saturday dawned and it was a quiet, quiet day. And I can imagine the disciples walking around a bit dazed. They'd given their life for thing. They banked on this Jesus being their rescuer. But now he's gone. And I can imagine that moment. That it was almost like they were lifting up their desk going, wrong desk. Wrong desk. It feels like our hope has been betrayed. And fear and insecurity and circumstances, opposition started to come up as they started going to hiding, back to their fishing, disappearing. The great news for you and I is that our story is not framed by Friday or Saturday. It's framed by Sunday. On this one fateful Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose victorious from the grave, holding the keys of life and death in his hand. And this is what Eugene Peterson says of that moment. He says, Christ marched Satan down the high street naked as a conqueror with the conquered. He took that lion, that lying, dirty lion, Satan, and dragged him. And the Colossians tells us he disarmed the powers and principalities by what he did on the cross. I want to tell you in that moment, Jesus Christ took the authority back from the devil and placed it back in your, your and my hands. So I want to ask you this morning, will you turn your eyes from the empty desk? Turn your eyes from your empty bank account. Will you turn your eyes from the empty relationship, from your empty future? And would you take them and say, I'm not putting my eyes on my empty desk. I'm putting my eyes on the empty tomb. Because the tomb is empty, my future can be full. And I pray this morning as we respond in faith to the simple word of the Son of the Almighty. Not Beniah, but Jesus Christ. You and I will be able to respond differently when our circumstances get large. We'll start to see opportunity in our position. And we'll start to realize that we were made to kill lions. Can I pray? Let's close our eyes, please. Before I pray, this morning, final story, this, mor this, this week, I had a moment in my house where I had three people in my lounge. One was a man who gave his life to Jesus two weeks ago. And he told me three weeks before that, that he would never trust Jesus. Another man was a man six weeks ago, gave his life to Jesus. And that man, for about multiple years, had been running away from God at a million miles an hour. And his mom had given up even trusting for him, said, I can only pray. I can't even talk to him anymore about this. That man was sitting in my lounge. And thirdly, a middle-aged lady, my mother-in-law, who three years ago, we were weeping about saying we can't ever see her coming to Jesus. They're all sitting in my lounge talking about Jesus Christ and their love for Jesus. And I stood in the kitchen weeping, going, only God. I want to tell you, 
I believe that there's this is the moment where only God can do something in your life. Keep your eyes closed, please. If you are in this room right now, and I believe you say, I gave, when you prayed earlier, the furthest heart. I'm that guy. I'm that guy or I'm that girl who's run far. And, and even before this morning, I thought maybe God's given up on me. Or maybe I go, how do I get back to God? I want to tell you, this is the way you get back to God. You respond to him in faith and say, Jesus, you've never left me. You've never forsaken me. Your grace is bigger than my sin. You'll say, I don't know what I've, you don't know what I've done. I'll say, I don't know what you've done, but I'll tell you what he's done. It trumps your sin every time. If that's you in this room right now and you say, I need to trust Jesus, maybe it's for the first time or maybe it's, you say it's for the hundredth time, but today it's real, I'm in. If that's you, I believe this is your moment. I'm going to count to three, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high and say, Jesus, I need to trust you. One, two, three. Some people couldn't wait for the three. It's brilliant. Put your hands up. Thank you, Father, for these moments, for first time moments, for multiple time moments, for men and women who said, actually, Jesus, I need you. I repent of my old way of life. Repentance is turning away from what you once trusted. Be it your sin, be it your pride, be it your own ability. Say, I repent, I turn, and I trust you, Jesus, the Son of the Almighty. And I thank you, God, in this moment, you're saying the old is gone, the new has come. You are new creations. So I thank you for this in Jesus' name right now, all across the room. Can you pray this? If you've got your hand raised, just say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. I'm all in. I have no other besides you. If you're also here this morning, you're saying, actually, this word has stirred in my heart courage to take, to take a step of faith this morning, to trade my circumstances, my opposition, and my, my insecurities for a faith response, a different response. I'm going to ask you to stand now. If you're saying, I, need a, I, I want to respond differently to circumstances, I've too long have been responding by emotions, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to pray. Father, as people stand all around this room, I thank you right now in Jesus' name, where they have felt for too long, empty desk. Empty desk. My future is empty, or my emotions are empty, my my resources are empty. My spirituality is empty. I thank you, Jesus, today. The eyes are turned from empty desks to an empty tomb. A Jesus who says, I am more than enough. Maybe your, maybe your family has let you down huge. Maybe men and women that you've trusted have let you down. And you say, I, I, don't, I don't know who to trust. This morning, there's an empty tomb. Because of that, Jesus says, you can trust me. I'm full of grace. I'm full of truth. I'm full of forgiveness. I'm full of life. I'm full of joy. I'm full of peace. I never run dry. I'm never in recession. I am always for you. Let's just lift our hands to Jesus. Father, I pray as we land this moment here, as people respond in faith, you're reminding people right now, your circumstance, sir, ma'am, does not determine your response. I thank you right now. You're reminding people right now, your opposition will become your opportunity. I thank you, Jesus, that you're reminding people you were made to kill lions. And all of this, Jesus, we realize this morning, it's not in us, it's in you, Jesus. Pour your grace in. Empty situations become full in you, Jesus. Empty futures become full with you, Jesus.